It's great to have all of you here this morning, whether you're physically present or whether you are with us online this morning. We are finishing up our first four Sundays here in the new year of examining the mindset that each one of us is to be bringing into 2021. Because it's our mindset, not our circumstances, that's really going to dictate how our journey in 2021 goes. And we're encouraged by the New Testament authors over and over again to be aware of our mindset. And again, remember, our mindset are those attitudes, those expectations, those opinions that we tend to hold on to very, very tightly. They determine so much in our lives. And so the New Testament authors authors would often speak to them. For example, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Or maybe you remember Jesus' own comment to Peter just literally seconds after Peter declared the correct identity of Jesus. Jesus comes back at him in Matthew chapter 16, 23, later when Peter makes an ill-advised comment and says, Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Our mindset matters. So we've been looking um, over the last couple of Sundays at our mindset, and I have chosen three that I believe will really make all the difference in the world as we come into this next year and journey through it. Psalm 95 was our first one where we looked at having a mindset of wholehearted worship so that we were looking up and just not always down. Last week was 1 Peter chapter 4 that spoke of a mindset of loving engagement with others so that we're looking out and not just in. And by the way, let me just make the comment that I hope you didn't misunderstand um, some of my words last Sunday. There was no intent to criticize at all those who, for really good reasons, have needed to exercise real restraint in being out in public or being with others. Or, uh, yeah, or have, needing to be very conservative about social distancing. No, what I was after was, what's the mindset behind that? Is it one of fear, or is it one of love towards others? Now, this morning, we're going to look at the third and final mindset. It's going to come from Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. This third mindset is going to help us develop an, an, an attitude of looking forward and not back. Now, before we do, just pray with me real quickly, please. Father, as Kirk has already prayed, Lord, would you just give us open hearts, open to your Spirit doing what your Spirit does so well, and that is teach us that which Christ has said. And Father, it might also be this morning that The ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to convict us concerning sin or righteousness or judgment. You do something so powerful, and that is you can speak to each one of us individually. And So, Father, I would pray that you would take my words, human words that cannot cut it, I will never be enough. But, Father, may we all hear your voice this morning speaking to us right where we're living, right where we need you to speak. Come, tinker down deep in our souls as you do so well and change us. Make us more like Jesus, our Savior, please. In his name we pray, amen. 
20 years ago, if you wanted to watch a specific movie, it meant that one of you in the family had to drive to one of the 9,000 stores across our country, stores called Blockbuster. Because Blockbuster, 20 years ago, reigned supreme in video or movie rentals. That same year, 20 years ago, 2001, Reed Hastings was the founder of a fledgling startup company, and he decided and asked and was given the opportunity to meet with the CEO of Blockbuster, where he proposed a partnership between his fledgling company and Blockbuster, where movies would start being delivered over the internet. Hastings was laughed out of the office. Fast forward now 10 years. Ten years later, that fledgling startup called Netflix (laughs) became the largest source of streaming internet in North America. It's probably now the largest source across the world. And Blockbuster, ten years later, well, as you know well, it has declared bankruptcy. (laughs) Such is the squirrely nature of change, isn't it? Some change When we choose it, we embrace it. We love it. Other change, when it's forced on us, what's our typical reaction? Oh, no, 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 no. We resist it. And why do we resist some forms of change? Now, typically, it's motivated out of fear, motivated out of our anxiety. What we are afraid of is that we are going to experience loss. Now, it may not be a tangible loss, something physical that you can put your hands on. Sometimes the loss is represented by a fear we're losing control. So what I want you to do for just a moment here is I want you to to put on your thoughtful hats. I want you to think back over the last 12 months of 2020, or maybe just even the last nine months since March hit, And I want you to think about what has been your reaction to the changes that have come into your life because of 2020. Big changes or all those small little changes that tend to pile up on us? What have been your reactions on the inside? What comes immediately to mind? Uh, Do a couple, maybe two or three words really represent the changes, and your reactions to them. Let me just give you some ideas. I mean, some of your possible reactions that you have had or that you may still be having might be represented by the words troubled, disappointed, sad, angry, bewildered, maybe cautiously expectant, maybe depressed, weary, numb, anxious, indifferent, or optimistic. What comes to mind when you think about your reactions to change? This may surprise you, but do you know that change is really not the issue? It's transition that is really what most of us struggle with. Now, in your mind, you might think change, transition, aren't those synonyms, Rick? No. They're actually two different things. Change is situational. Change is moving to a new city. It's 
it's uh, having a baby, it's having an interim pastor and then having to have a second one. <laughs> uh, it's starting a new job, it's, it's losing your job, it's having your fav- favorite restaurant closed down, it's beginning retirement or beginning retirement because you were forced to, not because you wanted to. to, to. So change are those things that happen out there around us. Transition, on the other hand, is internal. Transition is our adjusting on the inside. It's the deep emotional and spiritual stirrings that come as a result of change out here. It's what's happening on the inside here. It's those two or three words that I was asking, what came to mind about 2020? Now, there's nothing wrong at all with those deep stirrings as a result of change. That's part of transitions. The danger is not from those emotions themselves, but rather the way they make us afraid that something is just deeply wrong inside of us. So oftentimes we find ourselves thinking, and maybe you have thought one of these in this last year, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Or why do I seem to have tears so quickly? Or maybe you thought, why have I become so stoic, kind of feeling numb to life? Why am I struggling to forgive? Why have I disengaged from other people, even those that are closest to me? Will I ever feel normal again? Will the black cloud that I seem to be carrying around with me ever ever leave? There is a specific mindset to cultivate that will help us face the challenge of change and the transitions as we react to those changes. And as I mentioned, it's found in Isaiah 43. Again, if you have your Bibles or grab your device, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 43 this morning from verse 16 down to verse 21. Now, this little paragraph here obviously is part of a larger book of prophecies where Isaiah the prophet spoke for God to a people who were watching their world around them literally collapse. Their nation, the nation of Israel, had been divided by a civil war for hundreds of years, and they would occasionally fight each other, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom eventually had been defeated by an aggressor nation, and everybody in the northern kingdom had been carried off and deported. The southern kingdom now had gone into a moral freefall. And Isaiah warned the southern kingdom that enormous life-changing or life-altering change was coming. They too were going to be defeated. They too were going to be exiled. And everything that they cared about, their homes, their fields, their families, their friends, Even the temple in Jerusalem was going to be lost. It was all going to be ripped out of their hands, and their lives would never, ever be the same. Now, imagine what two or three words were coming to their minds. (laughs) Yet, into this very dark picture that Isaiah constantly painted in this book, You come to Isaiah 43, verse 16 to 21, and there is a beacon of light here that offers hope. Isaiah is going to tell us how to face change, challenging change, and to see how the Lord wants to walk with us through it and to give us a sense of hope that we will come out on the other side. 
It all begins when we remember what God is capable of doing. Look at verse 16 and verse 17. The prophet speaking for the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Okay, what's Isaiah describing there? What historical event is he mentioning? Well, it's what God did at the Exodus. And Isaiah wanted to remind his original audience, and us too now, of two things that remembering the Exodus is important. He says, first of all, when we think of our God and what He's capable of doing, remember that He can bring us out of what we're caught in. That's verse 16. He's asking us to go back to the book of Exodus, where the early chapters described how how Israel as a nation was in bondage there in Egypt. But when you come to Exodus chapter 14, it describes the supernatural power of God dividing the sea so that the Jewish nation could walk and take their final steps and be out of Egypt. But before that, they were trapped with no way out. And God showed up in a miraculous act of rescue, a miraculous act of redemption. How much? Does that speak to us? Some of the changes we've experienced in this last year, some of the transitions that emotionally and in our hearts have had to go through, we have been put into situations where we need our own personal exodus. We're trapped. We feel trapped. We've somehow gotten into something that we can't get ourselves out of, and we do not have the resources, we do not have the wisdom, we don't even have the energy to get us out. We can't do this. Oh, but our God can. And God is the only one who can get us out of whatever we're caught in. And this is just not an Old Testament line of thinking. Jesus wanted us to think the same way when he mentions in Luke chapter 4, verses 18, that this is what he came to do. Luke 4, 18 tells us, again, this is Jesus quoting the Old Testament prophecies about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. That's what Jesus came to do. As he mentions in John chapter 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's our God. That's a wonderful aspect of our God's character and capability that we are to remember this morning. He is fully capable of getting us out of what we're caught But there's a second truth that Isaiah wants this quick review of the Exodus to remind us about. And that is verse 17. Notice, he, meaning God, can defeat those who are seeking to defeat us. He brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. 
Again, he's reminding us what happened to the Egyptian army when they tried to follow the Israelites through the divided sea. Well, the Lord brought the waters back over on top of them and drowned them all. You know, some of the transitions or some of the changes we've had to face and then the, the, the reactive transitions that our hearts had to go through have come because of the choices of others. And we can feel attacked because of what has changed or been removed from our lives. And the pressure of that can become so intense, we can feel literally that we're on the edge of defeat because of the oppression or because of those who are coming after us. And we wonder, should I just give up? Should I just give in? And at that very moment that this passage says, no, 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 remember what our God is capable of doing. He's got the miraculous ability to defeat any direct or indirect attack against us. He's our mighty warrior who is strong to save. That's why I love Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 that starts off by saying, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's a mighty one who will save. And by the way, did you notice here in this passage that the very opposition that overwhelms us does not intimidate our God? Isn't that great? Look at the last phrase of verse 17. The enemies of Israel, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. The imagery that we're given there is that our God can deal with hostility or the antagonism that we're facing like two wet fingers snuffing out a candle. Do you realize God doesn't even break a sweat over the enemies and the opposition that we face? Oh, that's why I love I, uh, the Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Or Psalm 118 verse 6, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. So when we face unsettling change and then unsettling transitions because of all that's swirling around us and then what is swirling inside of us, remember what our God is capable of doing. He alone can bring us out of what we're caught in and He alone can defeat that or those who are trying to defeat us. And then we come to verse 18, and a shift occurs. Isaiah's focus moves from reminding us of what God is capable of doing to having us remember what I am to concentrate then on doing. In these next verses, Isaiah is going to present us with some critical choices to make. In fact, he's going to give us three choices to make. But let me quickly say up front, this is not a formula. It's not as if, well, if I do A and then I do B and then I do C, then I will get D. No, it's not a formula. It's these three choices involve us in a process. Uh, instead of a, trying to apply what we're going to look at in just a moment like a formula, look at it more like tending a garden. I know many of you during the warmer months up here will have a garden somewhere near your home or around your home. And what do you do with that garden? Well, you till the ground. Eventually, you'll plant seed. You'll water it. You'll add fertilizer. You'll weed it. You'll water it some more. And then over time, over time, 
something begins to grow. So these choices that you made as you were gardening helped the process along. That's exactly what we need to, how, the attitude with which we need to bring to these next few verses. What are those choices? Well, regardless of whatever change or transition you're facing, notice in verse 18, the first choice is to release what was. Verse 18, the Lord says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, it can't mean forget the past, because in verse 16 and verse 17, Isaiah just reminded us of the past of what God had done. Well, here's what I think Isaiah is driving, or what he, what he means here. That based on what my God is capable of doing, therefore I am to relax my grip on the past. Now, I want to be gentle here, but I also want to be candid. Some of you are struggling right here, right now, because you want things to return to the way they used to be. You're caught up in a mindset that the way forward is to look back. You want that in your personal life. You would really rather see us go back to pre-COVID living. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are struggling because you want that for Lakewood. That you remember a golden season here. And in your mind, if we could just get back to that, everything would be glorious. Oh, by the way, I, I totally understand. I get that. Because when any of us experience painful change, we want things just to remain the same. I understand the natural desire to hang on tight. Why do we want to hang on tight? Because it usually represents a time when it was comfortable, when it was convenient, when it was enjoyable. But notice what the, what the passage in verse 18 is saying. To work through the transitions that we're experiencing, especially on the inside, the beginning is an ending. The first decision to make is a letting go. But did you notice that there's a sequence here? We'll only let go if we're convinced that God's got my life in His capable hands. <laughs> and that the best days are yet ahead. You know, when it comes to change and transition... I, I see it in my own life, and I, in talking to others, this comes up. Do you realize that most of us are not very honest with God in prayer about, our change, about the change that goes on around out here or the transitions that are going on in here? No, we're not very honest. Most of the time, when we pray about them, we pray what we think God wants to hear out of us, not really where our hearts really are. By the way, can I just encourage you? Let me just encourage you to invite in prayer Jesus to come meet you right where those deep stirrings 
are occurring in your life, right where the new beginning means you've got to let go of what was. And that may practically mean that you are needing to admit to the Lord that you did not want this change, whatever change it is. Tell him, for example, if you miss that person, that, that their absence is, is, is painful to you. Tell him if you resent having to adjust to a new normal. In fact, tell him if you resent that you don't even like the words new normal anymore. Go ahead and verbalize your questions to him. Tell the Lord, why this? Why now? Why me? Folks, our God is big enough to handle all of this. He is big enough to handle our anger, our tears. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 1.3 tells us that He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. You might as well tell Him He knows what's going on anyway. Now, lest you think because I walked up four stairs and therefore I'm above all of this, folks, I am not. You've got a broken interim pastor, sorry. There are aspects of, for me, getting older physically that, to be honest, I'm struggling with. Lucy and I have moved here into this new community, and you all have warmly welcomed us, but we still don't have deep friendships yet. Lucy's mom is headed home, and all of those emotions and stirrings. Now, understand, I'm not complaining. I just would love to feel normal again. Anybody relate to that? (laughs) just would love to feel normal again. And that's why we're asked, relax our grip on the past, let go of what was. It'll be a process, it won't happen overnight, it hasn't happened overnight for me, I'm still working my way through this. But as we choose to go there, then we're brought to a second decision. Look at verse 19. We're then asked, choose to embrace what is. Behold, verse 19, God says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. That when God allows change to enter our lives, it's because He's got a new thing in mind. That's how sovereign He is. And again, did you notice that this new thing is described as springing forth? It's a word that describes the sprouting of a plant coming out of a seed and pushing up through the ground. In other words, the new thing will unfold over time. Typically, we won't be able to see the end from the beginning. It's going to get there, but we're going to have to go along with it. So Isaiah is giving us a a progression here. I need to let go of what was in order that I can embrace what is. So as long as I'm holding on tight to the past, I won't be able to take part in this new thing that the Lord is bringing. I've got to do one so I can do the next. 
And the powerful question that Isaiah raises here is, do I perceive this new thing that is springing forth from the Lord? Am I even looking for it? Or is my mind so much in the rearview mirror, I'm not seeing what's coming? Am I asking the Lord to give me discernment and insight by His Holy Spirit to recognize the new thing that God has in mind for me personally or maybe for us corporately here at Lakewood? And again, the choice is, am I going to focus on trying to drive forward by keeping my eyes on the rearview mirror? Well, is that a dangerous thing to do? Or am I going to look through the windshield so I can see what's approaching? Release what was. Embrace what is. And now look at the third decision that we are brought to. Verse, last part of verse 19, all the way down to the end. Anticipate what will be. The prophet says, I will make a way in the wilderness. Look halfway down through verse 20. The wilderness. The new thing is being described for us as a wilderness experience. Now think about this. Most wildernesses are visually stunning environments. I mean, think of some of them. There are mountains, there are uh, desert areas. Some are even ice-covered polar areas. And each year, thousands of, I mean, people spend thousands of dollars to go visit those wilderness areas. But that's the point. They just go to visit. They don't go to live there. Why don't they go to live there? Because by their very nature, a wilderness area is not comfortable or a convenient place to live. Typically, it's a very remote, lonely situation. The weather for most of the year there is brutal. Living there could mean going without the amenities and comforts that we've all come to enjoy. Like, there's no restaurants there. There's no fast food places there. You'd have a tent for minimal shelter, a sleeping bag for a bed, cell phone coverage. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, It's non-existent. So if we're living there, most of the hours of the day are going to be spent surviving. So we don't mind a wilderness being a picture on the screen of our laptop computer, but we wouldn't want to spend our life there. So when God-ordained change comes with the, the sometimes unsettling transitions that are asked of us, what Isaiah is trying to point to is that there's often a season of time in that transition where it's going to be like a wilderness-like experience for us. It's a season of waiting. Waiting without a clear end in sight. It's unnervingly quiet where God doesn't seem to be saying much of anything to us. We feel alone without former uh, structures of support that were there to, to be around us. Not much seems to get accomplished in the wilderness. We spend most of our time, like I said, just trying to survive it. And the hard part sometimes when you're in a wilderness is, the per- is that someone right next to you or near you isn't. They seem to be in a whole other world where there's activity and progress and satisfaction, but that's not the world you're living in. And in the wilderness, the old is gone or fading, but the new has not yet arrived, and it's easy to feel we're kind of in limbo between the two. There doesn't appear to be any direction, and 
It's confusing and it's weird and can tempt us to believe that there is just something terribly wrong going on. Wilderness. But Isaiah then quickly shifts gears. And notice, starting the last part of verse 19 down to 21, that as God takes us into the wilderness, He will do three powerful things for us. Verse 19, I am making a way in the wilderness. God will supply direction. The wilderness may feel like downtime, but there is a purpose and a point to what God is after here. Just like he led the nation of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land, he has got something in mind. He will guide us. I may want to be able to explain him, but God comes and says to me, to Rick, just trust me, (laughs) but I'll guide you. Second thing that he does, not only will he make a way in the wilderness, look at this, I will make rivers in the desert, The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. Verse 20, the second thing God will do, not only give guidance, He will give provision. And again, the story of Exodus should be flowing into our minds here, reminding us that even if necessary, God can bring water out of solid rock to care for the thirsty who need it. And then look at the third thing that he does. Last part of verse 21. I'm going to do all these things, give guidance, give provision, that the people whom I formed for myself, they might declare my praise. God's going to give us thankful hearts. See, when we concentrate on releasing what was and embracing what is and anticipating what will be, then we are in a position to, of praising God with thankful hearts as we see the way He's led us through that wilderness He asked of us. And that's why I really want you, if possible, to drive a stake down in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my friends, Jesus Christ loves His church. He loves us. He wants Jeremiah 29, 11 to be in our minds that the things that are happening around us and even inside of us are not there to harm us but to give us a hope and a future. We can cultivate this mindset only as we remember what our God is capable of doing and then remember what we are to concentrate on doing, a releasing and embracing and then an anticipation as well. So let's add this third mindset now into the other two. Here's how I like to say it. Mindset number three. I will cultivate a mindset of embracing the future so that my daily focus is a looking forward and not back. Now let's come around full loop, back to verse 16. How did this whole paragraph begin? Thus says the Lord. 
So we've not been given the wisdom of man, nor have we been given the wishful thinking of man. But what this paragraph does is give us insight into the ways and purposes of our God. And that doesn't mean that the changes that we've experienced and the transitions we've had to go through in 2020 have been comfortable, and it doesn't mean that the ones this coming year are necessarily going to be comfortable. Sometimes they're going to be confusing, have been confusing, impossible to explain. There are going to be elements of mystery in walking with Jesus that will never completely understand this side of heaven. Yet our hope in Him does not have to waver. For even in our wilderness, He'll provide guidance, He'll provide provision, and He'll provide reason to have a thankful heart. Let's pray. Father, We so want to be people described like this. Remembering every single day what you're capable of. Our our focus always remembering what we're to concentrate on. Yes. But the very words of Isaiah the prophet have reminded us of how often we fall short. And so, Father, please forgive us. Forgive your people. When instead of coming to the powerful God, we cling to idols. When instead of trying to discern your ways, we just want to feel good. Father, forgive us when we just cling to the past. Instead of believing that if things are changing, then you've got something new in mind that is wonderful and glorious that we can look forward to. Father, these are things that we can't do on our own. But your Holy Spirit can lead us day by day, not just to have this third mindset of embracing the future, but the other ones too. Father, may it change radically the way we journey into 2021. Not just because it's good for us, which it is, but ultimately as these passages have kept coming back to, It's so that you would get the praise. You would get the glory. So, Father, that's our prayer this morning. Meet us right where we are. Change us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, even in this third critical mindset. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.